0: The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas, bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free.
1: about us, Jesus. God, if you can care for the lilies in the field, if you can care for the birds, if you can feed them, God, you can take care of us too, God. You can love us. Uh, you can lavish your love upon us, God, just like you do for the birds, God. And who cares about birds, God, but you do and you care about us too, Jesus. God, I thank you for your love. God, I thank you for showing up with us today, God. God, your presence melts away every fear and melts away any anxiety and depression, God, and I thank you for being with us this morning, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. It's always amazing. Jesus is always here, but there's always a difference when you just worship and the Holy Spirit is just so present, and I love it. Um, So thank you, worship team. Amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Um, So I have some announcements for you guys. First of all, ties and offering. We have a box in the back that you can go ahead and drop in check, money, um, credit card, whatever. We take all forms. So um, go ahead and drop it back there. If you want to log on to our app or um, online, you can also give through those options as well. Um, And uh, my next announcement is if you guys, I know it's like You know, everyone has a phone. So we have this really cool app. It's called the Beat Church app. And you know what? It's kind of sad because you won't really need me anymore if you have the app because all the announcements are on here. The calendar is the first option right on there, and that will give you everything that's coming up for the Beat Church. So if you miss an announcement or you're wondering what's going on, you can always check the app or um, online. So um, what we have happening this week is community groups. So Tuesday night, 6.30, our community groups. If you've never been to one, I encourage you to check one out. We have one at the Elliott's house and one at our house, both on Tuesday nights at 6.30. We eat dinner. And we always hang out and have fun, talk about something. Um, I guarantee you that you will leave encouraged. You'll leave full, uh, not only physically, but uh, spiritually. You'll leave encouraged and feeling lift up. So come check out a community group this week if you've never been. Um, We also have Growth Zone Happening. That's Wednesday morning from 10 to noon. So if you are a business owner, entrepreneur, you can come check that out. Um, It's also a very encouraging place to come. Um, That's Wednesday morning, 10 a.m. to noon. Then we have the Men's Bible Study Breakfast, which is Saturday morning at Hat Creek. They meet at 8 a.m. That's 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Come enjoy some food and fellowship and talking about the word. And then uh, we also have, my favorite announcement, is the ladies are taking a day trip to Salado, or how Courtney pronounces Salado, my new favorite. Uh, So Salado is happening on Saturday at 10 a.m. We're meeting here at 9.30 change that We're meeting here at 9:30, and then driving out there together. So, if you're interested in going, please talk to Laura because we do need to just make sure we have a reservations for lunch and make sure we have everyone getting a ride. So, talk to her. But those are
0: all right. So, a um, couple things. Donnie just uh, got me. I hope I do this right, but he just said the, f- the tryouts for worship is the first Saturday of March. So, if you're wanting to get on worship, and it might be February, but I'm pretty sure he said March. But he just caught me as he's heading out. So. If you, is it March? First Saturday Saturday in March, okay? So if you're wanting to get on the worship team, you're wanting to do some stuff, just be here at the church first Saturday in March. What time is that, Donnie? 7 a.m. P.m. 7 p.m., okay? Just be here at 7 (laughs) p.m. If you really want to make sure that you get on and it works out really well, do what Justin did and camp out early. So he did to get his ammunition and his his, uh, weapons of warfare, right? How early did you go? Two hours and 15 minutes before they open, and you were number two in line, and how many people actually got some kind of ammunition? The first four people. So he was number two in line, and only four people got ammo. So they did all leave with grocery carts full, so blame them for the shortage. Um, but that's pretty cool. Or you could be smart like Carlo and buy it all online. There's different people, have different, different uh, things, or you can camp out. Why are we talking about ammo? It's interesting you know why I'll tell you why I'm gonna get into my sermon but can I just tell you this because we're in Texas that is a good reason I went on a trip this is true story okay I went on a trip uh, about two weeks three weeks ago and I thought you know what this is kind of the state of the world right now maybe I should take my gun I do have a gun Um, and I have shot it a couple times (laughs) Uh, just FYI and so I got my gun and I said, I'm taking this thing with me in my car and so I went and got my clip out and I went to get my bullets and I'm like, I'm going to get all my bullets and I'm going to make sure I'm safe, you know. Because I see the shows, you get in a firefight, right? I mean, what do they go through, like 100 rounds? So I get my gun, I can't find a box of bullets. I'm like, well, that's because they're in the clip. So I open the clip, oh yeah, there's bullets. And then I got the bright idea, I should probably count them. Like how many are actually in the clip, right? Because if I get in a firefight, I want to know when it will just be making noises and <laughs> when it will actually be shooting stuff. Like when does it just get to the click, click, click? Three. Three bullets. That's what I had in my gun. Three Little tiny bullets, that's all I had. So I told my kids, if there's four bad guys, I am in a lot of trouble. I only got three. So why am I saying that? The moral of the story is be prepared. Be prepared, okay? That's it. You should know more than three Bible verses, amen? So if something happens, you have four, because you might need four, right? Jesus faced the temptations in the desert, and he had a verse for every temptation. What if you got faced with one more temptation than you were prepared to deal with? Okay, read your Bible, Okay? Amen. Let's go have lunch. Okay. <laughs> Powerful. There's a lot there if you just hold on to that piece. and you just suck on. Okay. Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your church, God, which is all of us gathered together. And we just ask, God, as we get into your word, that you will help us, Lord, to hear it, to understand it, to process it, Lord, and then to actually live it out. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we've been talking about Jesus and about knowing him, and so we've gone through kind of just uh, the beginning of time, and we went through a little bit of the prophecies and the promises in the Bible, and now we're actually going to start getting into the words of Jesus. And so we all know Jesus because we've all seen his picture, right? We've seen that, and we've seen some carvings of Jesus, um, all these things. We're like, oh, well, there's Jesus, and the reality is that a lot of times that what we see, even as the pictures of Jesus, isn't really what he looked like. And so we have these images and these ideas of him, and also we've been told what he's like, you know. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and we know that since we're little kids, right? We know that Jesus lives in our hearts, so of course we know that he's tiny. And we have all these different things that we know about him, okay? We know that whenever we need a friend, that Jesus is there, But when you actually get in and read his words, it starts to open up. Me and Kyle have been doing this, right? Every morning, and um, we go on there, and we read the words, and we talk about it, and it's like, man, this is challenging. This is challenging. If you think about it, why would anyone take a little Jesus who just wants to be your best friend and who looks amazing, has fabulous hair, and hang him on a cross? Why would anybody want to do that? Like, what sense would that make? Could you imagine that? I mean, first of all, it'd be very hard to get a tiny Jesus up there and to hold him and put a little nail in there. That's hard. But this isn't what really happened. What happened was there was a person walking this earth who came down as God, walked this earth among us, and he was very controversial. He challenged people. He challenged their heart. He challenged their mind. He challenged their way of thinking. He challenged their way of living. He challenged sinners. Well, we know that because Jesus, you know, has come down to fix sinners. He challenged religious people that thought that they did everything right, did everything well. And at the end of the day, when the end of his life came, there wasn't anybody really that wanted to stand with him. They threw him on a cross. They actually wanted a a murderer to be released from prison. Instead of him, when they were given the choice, they said, give us Barabbas, release Barabbas. And they sent him out, and they left Jesus in there. So there must be more to the story than just Jesus, my friend, and just Jesus, this good-looking guy, than just Jesus, the one that went around and fed everybody, that would cause so much turmoil and controversy that people would actually feel it's time to throw him on a cross and get him out of here. And so that's what we're getting into. We're getting into his words, and we're not going to say this is the hard part that caused people to feel that way, or this is the hard part. We're just going to look at it and go, here's his words, and maybe something will come out that challenges you, but it doesn't challenge the person next to you, and that's okay. But when it challenges you, I would just say, don't run away from that. Don't do what other people did and say, well, then I don't want Jesus. Throw him out. But let it work on your heart. Think about it. Why is this challenging me? Why is this working on me? And today we're going to jump into those starting in Luke chapter 2, verses 46 to 52. It says, after three days, they found him in the temple courts. This is his parents looking for Jesus, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed. Moving this because it's popping a lot. At his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? So he disappeared. Why did you treat us this way? your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And this is Jesus' answers in red here. It says, why were you searching for me? It says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So these are, in the Bible, these are the first words of Jesus. Not if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because he's come in Luke. But chronologically, if you just look at it and say, you know, based on his age and where he was at, these are the first words of Jesus is why are you looking for me? Don't you know that I have to be about my father's business? And he's talking to his parents, and he's saying, you know what, I'm not really truly accountable to you as my parents. I have a different father. So right away, the very first thing he's saying recorded in the Bible is that I'm from a different place. I have a different priority. I have a different accountability. I have a different plan. I have a different origin than you do, and then you think that I do. And so he sets the standard right away that whatever you think is coming through my life or what my life is about, it's going to be different than what you think. Well, how does that apply to us? It applies to us when we think of God in terms of how does he fit into our world? Because that's what his parents were thinking. How does this son of ours fit into our world? And he was saying, no, actually, I come from something greater and you're going to have to fit into my world, into my kingdom, into my paradigm, into what I'm doing. That's how this is going to work out. Well, it's no different for us. And we think, man, how does God work in my life? How does he fix my stuff? How does he make things better for me? How does he do this? What he is wanting us to understand, even just out of this passage, is that it doesn't work that way. The way that it really works is that he comes and calls us to him and that our life then begins to adjust and to change to fit his plan and his purpose and what he wants to do. And that's what he's calling us to do in our lives. God, I came to you, Lord, so you can fix me. He said, no, actually, you came to me so I can fix you. Because you're the one that needs to line up to me. I'm the one that needed to line up to him. And so that's what he calls us to do. When we get in the word and we pray and we get a verse of the day and it says, man, God wants to bless me. Yes, God wants to bless us. Okay, But first, he wants to cleanse us. He wants to change us. He wants to have a surrender. He wants us to submit our life to him. He wants us to begin to do what he's called us to do. And he wants to bless us out of that. But it's in alignment with who he is. And so we look at that verse uh, out of Luke, and then we move on to Matthew uh, chapter 3. This is the first words that he has in Matthew, and that's what we're doing. We're just looking at each gospel, and we're seeing what his first words are in each gospel. Matthew chapter 3 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. So this is Jesus. He's coming, and John is a is a prophet, and he's a religious leader, and he's baptizing people so that they can get ready for the kingdom to come. And Jesus comes and says, hey, baptize me. And John's like, I can't do that. He's like, you should baptize me. And this is his words. He says, let it be so now, for it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So his first words as he's getting ready to head into ministry, his first words as he's actually like here coming into adulthood and moving into where he's going to be known and seen and begin to do God's work, is his very first words are, no, I have to surrender to the purpose and the plan that's in place. Well, what's the message to us? Well, the message to us is that when we jump in and we want to move forward in what God's called us to do, man, God's given me a heart for this. God's given me a passion for this. I feel like God wants me to go this direction to do this thing. Man, I just see all this vision that God's given me. Sometimes we jump out and we want to just jump out and start running in faith before we actually go through the process of surrendering ourselves to him and saying, Lord, this is the area of my life. I know you want me to surrender, but I'm already moving on to the mission because I know ultimately all you want is for us to get the mission done but that's not what he wants. What he wants is us to get the surrender done first, because then he's going to work through us and through our life. But i got to move on to this stage. I know this is what you have for me, so I'm just moving forward. God, I know you're with me. I'm supposed to start this business. I'm supposed to be in this relationship. I'm supposed to do this ministry, whatever it is. When you say, well, first, there's surrender and you get things ready and we move forward, but Jesus modeled it and said, you know, I'm going to do this because it's right to fulfill all these things first. We're going to line up. We're going to get things right. We're going to move forward step by step. And so Jesus lays that out. First, he lays out that first you're going to have to line up to my priorities. And then second, he models and says this is how it's done. We're going to surrender. We're going to lay things down. We're going to walk things out this way. John chapter 1. This is the first of Jesus speaking in John. Verses 35 to 38 says, The next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus. This is still John the Baptist. And as he walked by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned away and saw them following, and he said to them, What are you seeking? What are you looking for? Right? A lot of times people, we come to church, and we run into the building, it's like, okay, I'm at church, or I'm at this Bible study, or I'm at whatever place it is that's religious, that maybe God's there, you know, because God's not anywhere else. He's only in religious buildings. If it doesn't have a cross on it, then cross God off. He would never go there, right? Well, we know that's not true. But we go to wherever we think we can get connection with God in our prayer time or whatever, and we're like, okay. And this question that Jesus asks is, what are you looking for? Like, why are you here? Why are you following me? What is it that you want out of this relationship? What is your expectation? What is it that you think is happening? Where are we going right now? So have you thought about that? What is it that you're really seeking from God? Well, I don't know. I know that some areas of my life are a wreck, and I thought if I come to church, it just might get better. Well, I don't know. I just... My spouse told me I need to show up at church and be there. I don't know. It's scary outside, man. Culture is kind of losing its mind, and I just feel safer here. You know, whatever the case might be, you know, I just feel like I'll be a bad person if I'm out there, but if I come in here, then maybe I'll be okay. Like, what are you actually looking for in your relationship with God? What What is the reason that you have prayer time? What is the reason that you open your Bible? What is the reason that you show up at church on Sunday? Is it just to put money in the blue box? Amen, Pastor R. That's it. Or is it something else? Why do you show up? Why are you here? Because nobody else can answer that question for you. In this case, for his disciples, for a majority of them, they were asking him to fix their circumstances. That's what they were really after. They were looking for a Messiah that was going to come down, take over, throw their Roman oppressors out, establish a new kingdom. And they were hoping to be a part of that, like be one of the top you know, people in his cabinet. be really some of his top officials. We just stick close to them. We walk this out. That's what's going to happen. And there was this, this idea that's what he's going to do for them. But he's asking them up front, what is it that you want? Because he already knows that what they're going to get is not what they're looking for. He already knows their heart. He already knows what's happening in their mind. He already knows that they have this expectation that he's going to fix their world, but that that is not going to happen. He didn't come to fix their world. He didn't come to fix their circumstances. He came to get into their own life and to fix their heart and to fix their mind and to begin to change them from the inside out and that they would be a part of changing this world over time and changing this kingdom, but that that's the direction it was going to go. But before they even get too far, he didn't just say, oh, come on, let's all go running, let's just be together. He's looking at them and he's saying, why are you even following me? In churches a lot of times now we don't do that. All we want is as many people as we can get in a seat. Man, we need everybody. Well, why are they here? Well, who cares? Let's just get them here. Let's just get them here. I mean, churches have juggling before in their years. They have carnival stuff. I mean, anything that just gets people in the door. That's all we want. Just get them in the door. Let's get them there. People were chasing Jesus down, and he wants to know why are you here. Because our why matters. It ends up dictating what comes out of that. It ends up dictating what the relationship looks like long-term. And he wants to have that understanding up front of what are you following me for? Are you following me because you really want me to get into your heart and change your life? Are you following me because you want your spouse to be changed? Are you following me because you want your kids to be changed? Are you following me because you're hoping that it helps society change? Are Are you following me because you realize that, you know what, I need you in my life. Like I've got some brokenness. I've got some anger issues, I've got some pride, I've got some selfishness, I've got some things going on in me, and I need to be connected to the one who made me and ask him, what can you fix and change and mold me and make me more like you?" Well, I, I'm falling because man, I just, my life's been hard, and I want it to be blessed. Well what are you going to do with the blessing? When it comes, because that will be dictated by who you are on the inside. And God wants to get on the inside and change the inside so that as the blessing comes, it's used for his glory and it's used to minister to others. Not so that it comes and you just begin to get filled up and blessed. It's like, okay, now in my brokenness, I have all of this blessing and prosperity. Now what am I going to do? I'm going to do broken things with it. Because he's trying to get at the inside. But this is what he's asking them as they follow Luke chapter 4, this is verse 16 to 21. It says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue. And as was his custom, he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah that wh- was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. I'm just going to pause here for a second and just say this. I'm going to reread one line here, and I just want you to listen to it. It says that he went into the synagogue as was what? His custom. Okay, the synagogue was a church. Okay, so this idea that everyone has, this modern idea that Jesus didn't need church, Jesus didn't like church, Jesus just wandered out in the fields, and that nobody needs church, it's not true. Jesus went into the synagogue as was what? His, not cultural custom, not other people's custom, as was his custom. It's what he did. And he went in, and he read, and he taught, and he engaged people, okay? It's not the only place to minister. It's not the only place to connect, okay? But it is a place that he went and connected. It is a place that he modeled, and he does later in the word as well. But in this particular passage, we just crossed over it, so I want to pause there. But it says, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Let's pause there. When Jesus died, was there still poverty? Was there? Is there poverty now? Is anybody here, you don't have to raise your hand, living below the poverty line? Yes. There's people in this room. Is there people around the world living way below what we would call a poverty line? Yes. Okay, but this verse says, that he came to proclaim good news to the poor. Well, what good news was that? Because there's still poor people. In fact, Jesus says later that the poor you will have with you always. Okay, so if he came to, to proclaim this great news to the poor, it wasn't the news necessarily that the poor were looking for. I've been poor. I grew up pretty poor. Not my entire life, but for a good portion of it. You know, my bedroom used to be on our porch with tarps around it, and I just lived out there on the porch and didn't have a lot. Good news for me would have been, man, we're giving you guys some money, man. We're going to put up a big old mansion, you guys can get a swimming pool and all this stuff. Like, that would have been good news. But the good news of Jesus didn't alleviate everybody's actual poverty. He fed people these bread, this bread, he fed them these fish, he did the stuff to take care of them, and then when he left, guess what, the next day he wasn't there, so guess what they were doing the next day? Eating leftovers, or being hungry. There was no Bush's chicken. Couldn't run up there, that was it. You Get the bread and fish, well that's from yesterday, well that's what we're having today. We got 12 baskets left over. He didn't alleviate and take away poverty. But yet he had good news. So well, what about you? I'm a believer. I love God. I give. I try to help people. Why am I still struggling financially? Why aren't all my financial needs taken care of? Why haven't I had my windfall? Why haven't I got the big check in the mail? Maybe the good news that God's bringing you is not a bunch of money. Maybe it's not a bunch of wealth. He has promised to take care of you. He has promised that you don't have to worry about what you eat or drink or what you wear. He knows that you need all these things. He's going to take care of you. We know that. But maybe the American dream isn't his dream for you. Maybe you're right where he wants you to be at this time, in this season, in this place. I'll just tell you one benefit of moving around in income brackets because I've been all over the place. As an entrepreneur for 20 years before we did church, I've been all over the place. All over. My wife and I, and some of you have heard this story, but my wife and I had people over for dinner back in 08 and the real estate crash, and banks are closing. Things are closing all over the place. We had people over for dinner, and I told my wife, I said, hey, we got our friends come over for dinner tonight and all their teen kids, and we're going to eat at our house. She said, what do you mean? What are we going to feed them? I'm like, we got food. She's like, no, we don't. I'm like, what? get some. She's like, we don't have any money. We have credit. She's like, no, we don't. Not anymore. I said, well, what do we have? Like, what do we have? So she looks through the fridges and stuff, and we have one pack of chicken. Pretty much that's all we have. A little bit of milk, little bit, one pack of chicken. She said, we got some chicken. I said, great, we'll feed them chicken. And she says, okay. I get a call like an hour later, and she's like, okay, if they plan on using our bathroom, we don't have any toilet paper. I'm like, we don't have toilet paper. Like, this was before COVID. <laughs> like, this is just poverty. Like, well, what do I do? Right about then, my friend texts me and says, hey, we're coming over tonight for that dinner. He says, what do you want us to bring? Uh, literally, I did. You think I did? I did. I texted him back. I said, well, if you want to use our bathroom, bring your own toilet paper. Because we are out. So he brought a big old thing of toilet paper and, uh, you know, let us use some, thankfully. You know, like when you go to a potluck, you usually leave the leftovers, right? (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) He came to our potluck and then he left his toilet paper. So we had some toilet paper to last a little while. So we've been on all the different brackets. But listen to this. In the season that we're in those brackets and crying out and saying, God, why don't you move me into a different bracket? God's saying, why don't you look around and see the people that I have for you in that bracket that need your love and care? Like, you're there for a reason. Like, you're around other people that don't have toilet paper. They need a light to shine. They need someone to bring them courage. They need someone to love them, someone to bring them hope. Instead of being in a hurry to get out, why don't you look around and offer what I've given you, which is peace that surpasses understanding. Why don't you help them with that? We've had a lot of money. I say had. Praise God for seasons. We've had a lot of money. But then we ran out of toilet paper and we had to use the money. (laughs) That's a bad word picture. Good thing I don't do graphics. Okay. Well, we had a lot of money, and guess what? I wasn't looking to be poor. Because that's where the blessing was. That's where the people were. That's where God wanted me to minister. No, when I had a lot of money, guess who was all around me? People that had money. And guess what? A lot of them were poor in spirit. A lot of them needed God. Their families were struggling. Their hearts were broken. They were disillusioned with life. Like, I've got all this money, but what do I do? Because I'm still not satisfied. And that's the area that God had me. So wherever God has you right now, yeah, pray to pray to pray for it to change. Man, I want to increase, you know, God to be fruitful, multiply, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. That's all great. But along the way, wherever you're at, just stop and say, Do you know what, this is where I am right now. And I'm here for a purpose, and I'm going to make sure that I'm aware and that I allow God to work in and through me while I'm here. And that comes down to that question of, Even why are you following me? Are you following me to get to the end destination? Are you following me to do life with me along the way? Because a lot of Jesus miracles happened. The Bible would say, and along the way, he stopped and healed this person. As he was going, someone grabbed his garment and was healed. A lot of things were not at the destination. We have kind of a destination society, right? I'm going to get to this spot. I'm going to get to this spot. I'm going to get to this spot. It's along the way that stuff happens. You know, I think of Nicole. She's got a bakery. In fact, bread. I think I bought bread from you today. So, hey, communion. Okay, well, I'm going to eat bread from you soon. So she bakes. Right now, her business is growing, and she's always thinking of new ideas to grow it. Okay, when we first got to know her, Her business was smaller. Her business is growing, and it's going along the way. If her mind was only wrapped around this someday when that's Nicole's Bakery International. And that's where her mind was. She would miss the fun of stuffing Carlo full of food, trying to get him to taste everything, trying to get him to paint cookies, getting the kids in the kitchen, and getting a mess with the flour, and getting into all the stuff. Because I don't have time for that because I'm trying to get to where I'm supposed to go. Okay, Jesus didn't work that way. He did a lot of things along the way. He's moving along the way. So why are you following and where are you going? And are you willing to just go with him instead of trying to always push out and say, God, are you coming? God, are you coming? God, are you coming? Let's get this done. So the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news obviously wasn't a financial news, even though that verse is used that way a lot of times. It's not, because they were still poor. So some other good news, the good news of a peace that surpasses understanding, a good news that they had value, that God saw them, that God cared about them, that God had hope for them, he had a purpose for their life. And in that, he does give them abilities to work and at times to come out of poverty and to move forward and to grow because God's put these great ideas and these giftings in them, these abilities and perseverance and all these things, but that they can have the joy of the Lord because of his presence. And it says, he has sent me to proclaim freedom to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, he's talking about this entire new shift in the world where people are free. There's still slavery all around the world. Here in the United States, there's still slavery. There's human trafficking. There's all these things that are going on. So while there is some reality and some physical things that he's talking about, he healed real blind people, okay? He ministered to real poor people and helped them. He did all these things. But he's always driving at something deeper, that there's freedom, that even if you are bound on the external, you can be free on the internal. That God can do that. Even if you're poor on the external, you can be rich on the internal. That he's bringing this whole other way of living and thinking into existence. And that is not something that everybody wanted to hear. They wanted to hear that he was going to take care of what they wanted taken care of. And he's bringing a different message. And it says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Going to Mark chapter 1. It says, after John was put in prison. This is the same John the Baptist. There's a lot of connection here. But he ends up getting put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He said, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So when he really starts to speak his ministry, right? Okay, I've come out. I'm ready. I'm speaking my ministry. His words are not just, I have come to help you. I've come to help the poor. I've come to help the blind. I've come to help the oppressed. But his actual how am I going to do that is that I'm going to do that through repentance. I'm going to do that because I'm going to call you to change the way that you're living and line it up with my way of living. It's kind of come full circle. He's telling his parents, you know, I'm not from here. I'm from somewhere else. a different way to do things differently. He's kind of talking about that. Here, this is how I surrender and get baptized. This is what I'm doing. I'm showing this the way to walk. And then he's dealing with people. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to help you. Well, how? Here we go. Repent. Let go of your own self-will. Let go of your own way of doing things. Let go of this is how I want it to happen. Let go. Because that's what got us in trouble in the beginning. That's what got Adam and Eve in trouble. That they wanted that fruit, man. They wanted the knowledge of good and evil so that they could be like God. They wanted to be in charge. They wanted to make their own decisions. They wanted to do all their own stuff. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Repent of that and come back into a relationship where I'm in charge. And follow my way. And instead of always bucking against the circumstances of life, stop and recognize me in the circumstances of life and say, Lord, why am I here? What's going on? And what do you have for me to do here now? How do you want me to live here? My marriage is tough. Okay, how do you want me to live in this? What do you want me to do? Boy, my parents aren't. my, My school isn't very good. I don't like my teachers. I don't like my school. I don't like. Okay, how do you want me to live in this? What's my impact as I'm here? What do you want me to do? And he wants us to be in alignment with him and to do that. And when we do that, the good news comes is that he's for us and he's with us. And then we do it by his strength and his power. And God begins to bring blessing in our life and through our life because we're in alignment with him. Colossians 1, 19 to 23. This is where we're actually getting into some banking. My wife says, no, I took all of our checkbooks. I wrote like 40 checks this morning just for this demo and I cashed them all. Um, but we're going to get into some banking, which is one of my top skills. Colossians chapter 1, 19 to 23. For in him, all the, talking about Jesus, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to, check out these words, reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus was reconciling us to him. Through the cross, he died for our sins. He brought reconciliation through the cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, so you're against God, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death, so he's brought us into alignment with himself in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Okay, that's a long passage. I'm just going to point out a couple things. Reconcile to himself. Do you know what the most important word is in those three words? Reconcile to himself. One of the most important words, I think possibly the most important word is to. Which seems like the least important. There's this idea that we are just reconciled with God. Which is how we relate with each other, right? Me and my friend were fighting and now we're reconciled with each other. Why? Because he's a little wrong, I'm a little wrong, we both realize that we're both a little wrong, we both just made up, right? Right? We just decided, yeah, you know, my bad, no, my bad, okay, I both kind of had some mistakes, you know, I could have done better, you could have done better, so we're reconciled with each other. But when you read reconciliation, and there's different passages, when you read it, it talks about it in the same way, it's reconciled to himself, there's another passage in Corinthians that says reconciled to God, and that's where banking comes in. How many of you have ever... Written a check. Just raise your hand. And I know some of you haven't. Is Matt in here still? Where where are you sitting at, Matt? I remember Matt first started working for us. Remember that back at Bend Bend Upcycle back in the day? And it was like I left him with a checkbook. We were a consignment store. People come in to get paid, and I left Matt with a checkbook. I said, just write checks. If they come in and they want money, look it up on the computer. Write them a check. I explained all the difficult computer stuff, and he's like, Yeah, got it, got it, got it. This is the hard stuff. got it, easy. Okay. I leave. Later, it's like, how do you use a check register? <laughs> like, what is this foreign weird thing? Like, I'm not that old. Like, we just use debit cards and just look at our bank thing online. Like, I never wrote anything in a check register. And so you have this thing in the checkbook, and it's called a register. <laughs> okay? Oh, look. Nail salon. Nope. Hair. D- okay. So you have a checkbook register, and the way these things work is I have a certain amount of money in the bank, right? And then I, I say I have $1,000 in the bank. I take this thing and I write in, okay, I just spent $200 on this, you know, helping the poor, of course. I spend $100 over here blessing my children, of course. You know, $90 over here, buy my wife flowers, of course. Yep. All the good things that I'm doing, of course. I write them all in there. At the end of the day, you bring down the balance, and you take away things. I have $1,000, minus $400, minus $300, minus $200, whatever, and it's got you do all that. Well, then at some point, you get an actual statement from the bank that says you have negative $3 in your account. And you look at it, and you go, how do I have negative $3? Dollars? And then you go back in your checkbook, and you look, and you reconcile it. And here's the way reconciliation works. I look in my checkbook, and I see that I have plus $80 still. I still have $80. And so I call the bank, and I say, can I speak with the manager? The manager gets on the phone, and I say, apparently there's been a mistake. Because I just got your statement, and it says that I am negative $3. And my register says that I have $80. So you need to reconcile your bank to my register. And what does the bank say? Well, (laughs) they do say that. Well, first the bank says, well, first you're wrong. We sent that out two weeks ago, and you should have got your mail sooner because now you're negative $28 because you have a $25 overdraft charge. But it's not our job to reconcile to your register. It's your job to reconcile to our bank because we're in charge. Right? Isn't that how it works? Right? That's what this passage is really saying. Be reconciled to Christ. Not reconciled with, to All right, God, I see that you want this, and this is kind of how you see the world going, and you see my life going, and stuff like that, but this is kind of like me, you know, we're like getting to know each other, you know, little you, little me, you know, let's find a nice little middle, Antichrist, not Antichrist, Antichrist, Let's, let's do that, okay, let's just mix the two of us, you know, have a little future that I always hoped for, and God's like, No. I don't care what you're showing in your register. Well, I want to do this in my life, and I like these types of things, and this is my heart's desire, and this is the way that I want to be, and somebody tried to debit me here, and I had a right to put some anger back in to balance my emotions back out. Like, I'm doing all of my stuff, and I'm like, Lord, balance Come on, let's do this. And he's like, well, I've got you at, like, negative 1,000 right now. <laughs> I'm like, come on. I'm like, plus 1,000. Can we just meet in the middle and say it's a zero balance, and let's just both walk away? God's like, no. You have to come into alignment with me. Now, thankfully, through his grace, right, Christ has paid that for us to balance us spiritually, but he still calls us functionally to begin to walk out the life that he's called us to live. He still called us to do that, and this is how that works. We've had situations where we have to turn in everything to an accountant for our businesses, and when you do that, and you put everything in, it has to be to the penny. How, how many of you guys spend pennies? Like, you just go around with a penny? What can you buy for a penny? Why would you need to balance to the penny? What difference does that make? Well, it matters, apparently. Right? Apparently, it matters. And so... We would get to those spots in our checkbook, and i tell my wife, I'm like, wait, we need to balance this. i give it to her. she just spend four hours looking through there, and she's like, I'm going to find this penny. Now, two things happen. One, the second I give her that checkbook and that register and that bank statement, for me, it's balanced. Do you know why? Because she's going to do the work. She will. She's going to do it. And I know that she's good at it and she'll get it done. She'll find that penny. And so I can walk away, give it to her, and I can be at peace. Okay? With God, we know it's out of balance. I can say, you know, I'm going to give it to him. He's the one that reconciles to be at peace. But then here's the other reality. Somewhere, when I'm sitting there watching the football game, there's like one minute left, Got the ball on the five-yard line. We're down by two points. We're about to win. She comes in, powers the TV off. And says, "I need your help now." I'm like, "For what?" She's like, "Cause you wrote these things, and I need you to talk to me about it. We need to fix this together now." She's still the one with the smarts and the ability and the work, but she calls me in to participate in getting this thing sorted. Okay. God is the one with the ability and the grace and the cross and the work, but he still calls us in and says, okay, I know that you threw it all on me, and that's great, I wanted you to do that, but now you're just off running. But I want you to come back because we're going to actually work this out now. Okay, we're going to actually work this out and change this in your life. And God calls us back in, so there's a little bit of a, a working on the process with him after we've given it to him that he wants us to do with him. So my question for you, and Donnie, you can come up now. I'm going to grab that. What we're going to do is we're just going to take a minute. We're getting ready to end here. But I want to take some time. Donnie's going to play a song. We're not going to, you know, do like hands raised and a bunch of stuff, but I want you just to bow your heads. He's going to play this song and sing the song that we sang today, worthy of it all. And I just want you, with your head bowed and just between you and God, I want you to ask him, say, Lord, is there something that's in my life in my heart where I have been asking you to reconcile everything to me but where maybe you want me to reconcile to you. Something that you want me to bring in alignment to you. Something that you want me to adjust. Someone to forgive instead of asking them to come in and be the ones to make everything better for me I just to forgive them. Somebody that I've been angry with for me to go and ask forgiveness of. Maybe an expectation that I have on my life, on my finances, on my kids, on my job, on my future, on my whatever, that I have this, but Lord, you have that. Maybe I just need to move it over. Because sometimes the constant striving and struggle and stress is because we're trying to make the bank come to our side, and it doesn't work. But the peace that surpasses understanding comes when we just move over to that side and say, okay, I'm going to come in alignment with where you want me to be. I have peace there. I trust you. I'm coming there. Help me do it. Amen? Okay, so he's going to play through this and just take a minute with your heads bowed and just have some time between you and the Lord. And then I'll come up here in just a minute and close us in prayer and we can grab kids and stuff. But just take that time I believe God wants to speak to some people